0: What's going on you guys welcome back to the neighborhood podcast one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra So in this episode today, it's just gonna be me doing this one solo And the reason why that Kevin is not here for the episode today is because he and his family are dealing with a major bee infestation Inside of their house. So Kevin and I we were talking about this over the entire weekend And he was saying that the situation was so bad that you could hear the bees buzzing inside of the walls They tried to get some sort of contractor, get some sort of exterminator to get the bees out of there over the weekend, but they weren't able to get one in particular. So hopefully they can get that squared away with today. I mean, today's Monday. Hopefully they can get an exterminator to handle that bee colony because depending on how big that infestation is, that could be quite a project to be able to remove all the bees out of there. So I know this is a major inconvenience to Kevin's family and hopefully this can get resolved sooner rather than later. So do expect Kevin to be back later in the week for our Friday episode. But like I said, for today's episode, it'll just be me. It'll just be me by myself. But we got a couple of topics of discussion for you guys today in today's episode. So let's not waste any time and let's dive into our topics. So the first one will be a response from a video that we uploaded last week. So there was a topic of discussion in last week's episode where, I called out the Knicks fans as the most annoying fan base in all of sports. And let's just say over the weekend, Knicks fans let me have it. And they did not hold back in their criticisms toward me. And what you guys hear from me today is my response to what Knicks fans as a whole were telling me throughout the entire weekend. So that'll definitely be a fun topic of conversation for me. And then after that, we'll talk about some of the highlight matchups in the NFL this past weekend. Uh, we'll talk about the Chiefs just continuing to struggle this year. The Chiefs got absolutely destroyed by the Titans in week seven. They lost by 24 points on the road. And we'll talk about whether or not that the Chiefs are at risk of missing the playoffs this year. And then after that, we'll talk about the Baltimore Ravens and Cincinnati Bengals game where the Bengals just absolutely destroyed the Ravens. I believe they won that game by the score of 41 to 17. And we're going to focus on one player in particular, which is Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase had a phenomenal performance in that game. And we're going to discuss in depth whether or not that he is the clear cut choice for offensive rookie of the year. After that, we will do another weekly roundup of our honorable mentions. There's really only going to be one performance I'm going to highlight from week seven in particular. I'm going to be honest with you guys. The week seven game slate was not that impressive. A lot of the results were pretty much expected across the board, but there was one performance in particular that I think is worthy of discussion for our honorable mentions. And then after that, we're going to round out the episode with a preview and prediction for the Monday night matchup between the New Orleans Saints and the Seattle Seahawks. So that's the episode, you guys. Let's not waste any more time and let's dive into it. So last week, if you guys remember from the topics of conversations that we had, we had a topic. We had a Segment where we were going over Knicks fans and the response that they had in regards to winning against the Boston Celtics in double overtime. So I uploaded a video to our YouTube page last week where I called out the Knicks fans as the most annoying fan base, not only in the NBA, but throughout all sports. And it was due into part a video that we saw not only on YouTube, but on Twitter, where you saw Knicks fans going absolutely ballistic after this win against the Celtics in double overtime to start the season. And I did not hold back in my criticisms towards Knicks fans. I wasn't even talking about the team itself. I was just talking about how ridiculous the fans were. And when I uploaded that video, I knew it was going to cause some blowback and boy did it because Knicks fans, they did not hold back in their criticisms toward me Uh, They were pretty ferocious, and even though that I expected it, I have to be honest with you, I I found it humorous to a certain extent because it really just kind of highlights a couple things. First of all, I mean, listen, they will defend their team no matter what, so I got to respect them for that, but I just think that they were out of pocket after that win against the Celtics, and I want to start it like this, so I've got one thing. And one thing to say. So I want to specifically address Knicks fans and Knicks fans as a whole. So based on what I saw, because I went back and I and I watched our video and I looked back at it because I wanted to see whether or not that I said anything wrong or I said something that I shouldn't have said. And after reviewing the video, you know, just to kind of point out to Knicks fans here, I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't think I said anything wrong. I don't think I said anything that was out of pocket or, you know, I was lying or anything like that. I, I don't think I was wrong. And I've got no issues in what I said last week. So I have to just point this out. There were Nick fans literally saying last week that we're going to take it all the way after beating what you could say is a decent Celtics team in double overtime. And the reason why I find that absolutely comical is because the bar has been set so low by Knicks fans that a win over the Boston Celtics, and they also beat the Magic over the weekend as well, are causes for celebration. And if you don't see any issue with that, then as far as I'm concerned, you're really only lying to yourself. I mean, Knicks fans, especially the ones that leave the garden after the Knicks win a game, they truly think that they run the NBA. And I gotta be honest here for a second. The Knicks don't even run New York, let alone the NBA. I mean, let's keep it a buck. The Brooklyn Nets run New York as far as NBA teams are concerned. And I don't even like Brooklyn like that. If Nick fans got a problem with that, then they must have forgotten that they were on their hands and knees begging for Katie and Kyrie to come to the garden before they chose to go to Brooklyn two years ago. And to be honest with you, I don't know what hurt Nick fans worse Katie and Kyrie going to Brooklyn or Trey Young waxing the Knicks. In the playoffs last year, I have never seen a player bruise a fan base's ego more than what I saw Trey Young do to the Knicks fans last year. Trey must have hit them where it really hurts because if my memory serves me correctly, I think he bowed to the fans right before he escorted them out of the playoffs. When I say them, I mean the Knicks. And I think the only thing that Trey Young should have done a little bit differently before game five was to pull up to the garden in a hearse to let those Nick fans know that it was over before it even started. And it's a larger point here with the Knicks, especially their fans. Nick fans have been so desperate for this team to be good for years because the Knicks have been irrelevant throughout most of my lifetime. And I'm 26. They've been historically bad throughout that stretch. They've made the playoffs a couple times, but they haven't been that good since 1973 that was the last time that they won an NBA championship they've had two finals appearances since then two and that was 50 years ago and please i don't want to hear anything about oh they were good during the mellow days oh and they had a they had a great stretch in the 90s let's be honest here for a second they couldn't even get past the second round of the playoffs with mellow there and as far as i'm concerned when it comes to the 90s the only thing I remember from them is Jordan absolutely owning that decade of basketball like yeah the Knicks had two finals appearances in the nineties and they lost both of them and they went to the playoffs fourteen straight times and you're telling me that in that stretch that go to the playoffs fourteen straight times and you only get two finals appearances and you think that that's some sort of his that's some sort of history to defend no. I think that's ridiculous, but you know what? That was then. And this is now the Knicks have a good team this year. And I've got nothing bad to say about the current team that they've assembled and Knicks fans as a whole should be excited about this team. The Knicks are coming off their first good year in a couple of years. And I imagine that the team has set higher expectations for this season. And as far as the Knicks go, I wish nothing but the best for the Knicks moving forward. But like I said, my criticism is not towards the team. It is towards their fans. And if Knicks fans take take away anything, let it be this point. you got to earn your stripes before you get to talk shit. As far as I'm concerned, the Knicks didn't win the finals last year. So you can't talk shit and not expect someone like me to call you out on your bullshit after the Knicks had one good season. in The first time in a couple years. And they got bounced out in the first round of the playoffs in five games against Atlanta. So, yeah, it was a great regular season, but in the playoffs... They got owned. They got owned by the Hawks. And I will say this, just to be fair with Knicks fans here. If the Knicks win a title this year, you guys could say whatever you want. At that point, you'll have earned it, and I'll let you guys have it. But I want to end this point with this. Knicks fans better hope that the Knicks win the finals this year. And here's why. Because if they don't, meaning the Knicks, if you think that I'm bad now, just wait until the Knicks get bounced out of the playoffs. And I do think that they will make the playoffs. But the response that I'm going to have for Knicks fans, if that happens, all I'm going to say, it is going to be legendary. And you guys are going to paint me as a target. And you know what? I could care less. I think you guys have been irrational for a very long time. And as far as I'm concerned, you guys are going to be so disgusted with whatever team is going to beat the Knicks in the playoffs. Because last year, it was fuck Trey Young. And apparently, that has just carried on throughout this year already. And whatever team beats the Knicks in the playoffs this year, the same is going to happen with the top guy that is on that team that beats the Knicks. So, at this point, it's kind of predictable. I'm not expecting anything different. But the response that I'm going to have for you guys at the end of the season... It is going to be absolutely legendary. And I'm just going to leave it at that because, like I said, if you think that I'm bad now, just wait until then. I am not going to hold back. So I'm going to leave that topic of discussion for another time. I could talk about the Knicks fans for days, but I'm just going to leave it at that. So, with that said, we'll transition into the NFL and we're going to talk about the Chiefs just continuing to struggle as a whole this year. So, the Chiefs lost to the Titans by the score of 27-3. to three. The Chiefs are currently sitting at a 3-4 and four record, and they're just sitting at the bottom of the AFC West at this current moment in time. And in regards to the Chiefs, the question has to be raised now, are the Chiefs at risk of missing the playoffs this year? And I do believe at this current moment in time that they are. And it's kind of shocking to see that the Chiefs haven't been able to get any sort of consistency so far this year whatsoever. And the issues are not just on the defensive side of the ball. It's across the entire team. Offensively, they are extremely turnover-prone, more than any year in recent memory with Patrick Mahomes at the quarterback position. In the first seven games this year, the Chiefs have 17 turnovers as a team. The next two teams behind them are the Jets and the Jaguars with 12 turnovers. This is the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs just went to the Super Bowl last year, And they are in the same company with two of the worst teams in the AFC and the NFL as well in that regard. And Mahomes has struggled mightily this year. Granted, he has thrown for 18 touchdowns this year, but he has nine interceptions already. To put that in perspective, he had 11 interceptions the last two seasons combined in 2019 and 2020. He has really struggled and he has been turning the ball over consistently throughout the entire year. And not only that, the Chiefs offensive line has been unable to keep Patrick Mahomes upright through the first two months of the season. They have given up 14 sacks already, and they're projected to allow over 30 sacks by the end of the season, which would be the most in Mahomes' career. And offensively, this unit is falling apart at multiple spots. But to me, the offensive line is just maybe the biggest one that is flying under the radar. If the offensive line is not winning, the line of scrimmage, the majority of the time it could throw the entire offense out of whack. And we've seen that so far. And it especially showed in that matchup against the Titans, the chiefs have one of the most high powered offenses in the NFL, and they only scored three points against the Titans and the Titans have a subpar defense, but they looked like the damn 2000 Ravens defense against Casey yesterday. The Titans defense really gave it to Casey and Casey had no answer for it. And this kind of goes without saying, but the offense needs to get it together. I know that's kind of obvious at this point, but they got to really get it together and get some sort of consistency going on that side of the ball. And then defensively, Kansas City's just pitiful. And there's no other way to say it. First of all, they damn near give up 30 points a game. In the first seven games this year, they've allowed opposing offenses to score 203 points against them. Only two teams have allowed more points so far this year, which are the Washington football team and the Miami Dolphins. And those teams are some of the worst teams in the NFL this year. The second one is is that Kansas City can't get any sort of pass rush whatsoever. They are dead last in sacks, which is just flat out awful. I believe they average one sack a game. They're getting no pressure against quarterbacks and the opposing quarterbacks can just sit in the pocket and be able to dice up that Kansas City secondary, which is one of the weakest in the NFL. And then the third one, and this is kind of a major issue that I've seen with Kansas city's defense throughout the entire year is they can't force offenses off the field on third down coming into the Titans game. They're allowing opposing offenses to convert on third down 45% of the time against the Titans, Tennessee converted on 75% of their third downs and completely dominated the time of possession against KC. for Kansas city. It's bad. I have no other way to say it. And I think it stems from this. I'm of the mindset that the loss against the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl damaged the psyche of this team. I think Tampa gave the league a blueprint on how to beat Casey moving forward. And ever since, Kansas City has struggled mightily. And I do want to say this, though. I still believe that the Chiefs can make the playoffs. I don't want to say that it's over, that they should just pack it up and call it a day. But. It's like I said at the top, they are definitely at risk of missing the playoffs. And when it comes to the coaching staff, Andy Reid and the coaches are going to have to fix this sooner rather than later. They have a lot of work on their hands and there's no simple fix for the issues that they have as a team. And when it comes to Andy Reid, he's got to make the adjustments now because I think the league has figured out a way to slow down Mahomes and I think this season so far has proved it. I do think that Kansas City, if they're able to get some consistency going as far as winning games, I think that puts them back in playoff contention. But at this current moment in time, they are really struggling. I mean, in the top of the division, you have the Raiders and the Chargers to to deal with. And those teams have looked pretty solid this year. And the Chiefs have looked the opposite this year. I mean, the Chiefs are basically the worst team in their own division. And I thought that they were going to be an easy AFC West division winner this year, but turning the ball over, not getting opposing offenses off the field. And just the, the amount of mental mistakes they're making as a team is the reason why, or are the reasons why that KC is sitting in the position that they're at. I think that it can be resolved to a certain extent, but I think these are going to be some lingering issues that are going to carry with KC throughout the entirety of the year. So yeah, KC's in some trouble here. Um, I wouldn't say that their season is over. I'm not going to go that far. But, you know, if Kansas City is looking at this with a half glass full perspective, they've got half of the season to figure this out. So we're in week seven. We're going into week eight. You know, they still got some time to figure this out. So I'm not going to say it's over for KC, but they've got some issues to work out. And I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. So with that said, We're going to transition into the next game that we'll talk about, which will be the Cincinnati Bengals, just absolutely annihilating the Baltimore Ravens this past weekend. I mean, Cincinnati was phenomenal in this game. And this was a game that was relatively close at halftime, but Cincinnati made some great adjustments at halftime and they absolutely dominated the Ravens in the second half of the game. And this was on the road as well. Putting up 41 points on the road, Against guess a division rival like the Baltimore Ravens is phenomenal. And the Ravens were arguably, if not the best team in the AFC coming into this matchup against the Bengals. But Joe Burrow had a phenomenal day diced up that secondary. Like it was Swiss cheese. I mean, I believe he had over 400 yards passing in that game, had three touchdowns. And I want to talk about one person in particular. I mean, Joe Burrow is definitely having a solid year this year, but I got to talk about Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase, in my opinion, is the clear-cut choice for rookie of the year, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. And here's why. Jamar is clearly their number one option as far as their receivers go. And when it comes to the connection that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have had, this extends farther than just the drafting of Jamar Chase in the first couple of games that he's played for the Bengals. I mean, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, this goes back to their LSU days where they were able to light it up against college secondaries until Joe Burrow ended up getting drafted. And there were some concerns with Jamar taking the year off last year because of the, the COVID issue. And I think some people were thinking whether or not that he could transition into the NFL efficiently, or I should say smoothly, that's probably a better word to use. Um, after taking that year off, and from what I've seen so far, he has lit up any opposing cornerbacks or safeties that he's gone up against. In that game against Baltimore, Jamar had eight catches for 201 yards and a touchdown. And the one play in particular that I want to focus on is that touchdown, an 82-yard touchdown. Where I mean, it, it's not that crazy of a route. It's literally just like a like a five to ten-yard route and he's able to break off a tackle or two and then just run straight down the field for an 82-yard touchdown. It was a phenomenal play. And Jamar Chase is one of the most electrifying receivers in the NFL already. I wouldn't say that the guy has blazing speed. I wouldn't say that the guy is like Randy Moss in the perspective of being able to get like those, those jump balls, being able to high point those passes and then just being able to torch cornerbacks like that. But Jamar, his his route running, I think, is phenomenal. And what he's able to do on these big chunk plays is basically akin to what I think Tyreek Hill does for the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball to him. When I look at Jamar Chase this year, Jamar Chase has 35 receptions and 754 yards receiving already. He has six touchdowns. The craziest stat to me is the fact that he is averaging over 21 yards per reception this early on. The only person that I could really think of in recent history that kind of has similar numbers to that as far as rookie receivers go was Justin Jefferson with the Minnesota Vikings when he got a start a couple years ago. And Jamar Chase is on pace to break that rookie receiving record that Justin Jefferson just broke a couple years prior. At this point, Jamar Chase is looking at 1,500 yards, possibly even 1,600 yards receiving. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes the year with at least 10, possibly even 12, 13 touchdowns receiving. And he may have, oh, I don't know, 70 yards. I mean, not 70 yards, 70 receptions by the end of the year. He's having a phenomenal year. And I just think at this current moment in time that he's the clear-cut choice for rookie of the year offensively. You can maybe say that Mac Jones is in the mix for New England, but I think when it comes to just dynamic playmaking, I think Jamar set himself, sets himself above everybody else in that regard. And if he keeps playing like this, I mean, it could be a point, in, it, a point could be made that he could be like a top 10 receiver when it's all said and done by the end of the year. That may be a little bit of a stretch in my opinion, but if he keeps playing like this and he makes these huge chunk plays for Cincinnati moving forward, oh yeah, he could definitely be, a top 10, top 15 receiver when it's all said and done by the end of the year. But it really kind of goes to show that Cincinnati is a team to contend with this year. And they have been playing phenomenal throughout the entire year. And they're currently sitting at five and two. They are one of the best teams in the AFC. And the fact that they were able to just decisively defeat the Ravens This past week, it was quite a shock to me because Kevin and I picked the Ravens to win that game. We thought it'd be a relatively close game just because it's an AFC North battle and those games are always gritty. They're always grimy, but man, Cincinnati's offense just absolutely lit it up. And I think their offense is definitely one to contend with moving forward. I don't know if I would call them the best team in the AFC at this current moment in time, but They definitely deserve a lot of recognition for what they've been able to do. And the fact of the matter is, is that they held Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense to 17 points. The Ravens have been one of the best offenses that we've seen throughout the entire year so far, just because we've seen their running game just be so consistent throughout the year, despite whoever they have in the backfield. Lamar Jackson is having an MVP caliber season, but give credit where credit is due. Cincinnati's defense played huge in that game. They were able to contain Lamar. He wasn't really able to make some big plays down the field. And that's why Cincinnati is sitting here at the top of the AFC North at five and two. I mean, they're, they're tied with the Ravens as, at the same record, but still you got to give Cincinnati a lot of credit and they deserve a lot of respect. They earned my respect after what they did to the Packers just a couple weeks ago, even though they lost that game against the Packers, they were in it the entire way and they lost. Really tough game in overtime against the Packers. And that was just because nobody could hit a field goal to win them the game. So, you know, outside of that, though, the Bengals have been by far the biggest surprise to me this entire year. And if they continue to roll like this, you know, they could definitely make some noise if they make the playoffs this year. And I think at this point, I think they will make the playoffs. It just depends on what seeding that they get. So with that said, you guys will transition into our next segment. And that is going to be our honorable mentions of the week. So typically, you know, Kevin and I will pick like one or two games that stand out from each week in the NFL that are not our featured segments that we go over. But, you know, one that we give some time to just because we think that they were performances that need to be highlighted. So my honorable mention this week is going to be Tom Brady with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm not really going to talk about the game because the game itself was an absolute ass beating. I mean, the Buccaneers beat the bears 38 to three and the bears were not competitive in this game whatsoever. This was a game where essentially the bucks had this wrapped up by halftime. It was 35 to three at halftime. I mean, there's nothing more to say other than that, but the one person that I do want to focus on is Tom Brady. Tom Brady was once again, phenomenal for Tampa. Threw for over 200 yards passing, had four touchdowns in this game. I mean, he threw three of those passing touchdowns to Mike Evans. I mean, they were just on point the entire day. And I do want to mention that Tom Brady passed the 600 passing touchdown mark in this game against the Bears. And it's something that I want to touch on here. And we know that Brady is undeniably the best quarterback in NFL history. And you can make the case that he's arguably the greatest football player in NFL history as well. But one of the takeaways that I take from Brady passing the 600 passing touchdown mark is, is this kind of akin to what the home run record will be like in the MLB? Because what we've seen so far in like the last maybe 20 years or so is the passing game has become so elevated in the game of football that a lot of the passing re- records are just falling by the wayside each and every year. And, and one kind of wonders whether or not that this record will be broken. Because when I look at Brady, Brady has 602 touchdowns in his career as far as passing touchdowns go. And to be quite honest with you, the guy, if he wants to, and it's really kind of up to him at this point, the guy could go for 700 passing touchdowns when it's all said and done before he hangs it up and retires. And when I've looked at him this year, I mean, this could honestly be one of his best seasons that he's ever had. And he's 44. I don't know if I would put it as like, this is his best year since 2007, where he threw for 50 touchdowns and completely destroyed the league in 2007, where the Patriots went undefeated. But Brady is just so calm in the pocket. He's barely getting pressured whatsoever. And he is just, Dicing up defenses left and right. And it has become a weekly thing. And I, at this point, I think Brady's probably going to throw for 40, 45 touchdowns. I mean, the guy threw for 40 last year in his first season with the Bucks, where he had no training camp and no OTAs to come into it. You had a regular training camp. You had your OTAs. And he just continues to marvel at the age of 44. And this is not even a situation where it's like, Yeah, like you could see some slippage. He's getting older. Like, that's not the case. We saw with Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, even Phillip Rivers. When they got to the end, they were struggling. They were just struggling physically because they were just dealing with injuries. And you could tell that those injuries definitely hindered their success as far as being able to pass the ball effectively. With Tom, I don't see that. Tom just continues to roll through defenses like it's nothing. And he was without Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski in this game against the Bears. And to be honest with you, he looks kind of bored back there because I don't think the Bears really presented him a challenge whatsoever. And he diced them up. And it's like I said, though, it's just, I wonder if this passing touchdown mark, as far as career passing touchdowns goes, will be kind of akin to what the home run record will be like for Major League Baseball. Because if Brady keeps playing like this, I could definitely see him you know, surpassing 700 passing touchdowns, like I mentioned earlier. And one when, when would have to question whether or not that mark will be broken. The next current player that's closest to Brady at this point in time is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has 427 passing touchdowns, and Aaron Rodgers is, is in his mid to late 30s. If Rodgers stays healthy, I can maybe see him getting close to Brady, but if Brady is still playing for the next couple of years, it's going to be tough for Aaron Rodgers to catch him. So I do think that Brady has some MVP considerations this year. I don't know if I would put him at the top. I'd maybe give that to Kyler Murray at this current point in time. But what Brady is doing at age 44, it's just phenomenal. And it, one has to wonder if this passing touchdown mark that he has set will be broken. And I think it may be a while. You know, maybe Aaron Rodgers might do it. Maybe Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson. I mean, maybe they could say something about it. But I think Tom Brady is head and shoulders above them when it comes to being able to throw touchdowns. And I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. So, you know, as far as my honorable mention goes this week, uh, it's definitely Tom Brady. And I think it's well-deserved. So with that said, uh, we are going to wrap up the episode with our last segment of the day, which will be the preview of the... Seattle Seahawks, and the New Orleans Saints game. So coming into this matchup, you know, both teams have been, I would say, relatively average this year. Uh, Seattle's really been hindered by the loss of Russell Wilson due to the surgery that he had on his finger. So he's still going to be out for the foreseeable future. But the Saints, the Saints have been pretty solid this year. And I I can't really hate on them too much. Um, You know, losing Drew Brees, you know, one would have expected a drop off a pretty significant drop-off as far as the team is concerned. But I think they've held their own. You know, currently, the Saints are at 3-2. I wouldn't say that they're in competition with the Buccaneers in the NFC South just because I think the Buccaneers are head and shoulders above everybody in that division. But I still think that New Orleans, by and large, is a, is a team that deserves some respect. And I think you have to credit Jameis Winston for coming into the role that he got this year. And he's been able to be in he's been able to be pretty effective this year. He's not turning the ball over as much as he has in years past. And he's been throwing a decent amount of touchdowns throughout the season. And when I look at this matchup as a whole, when I look at this saints and Seahawks matchup, I'm going to favor the saints in this game simply just because I like offensively where this team has been going the last couple of weeks, Uh, not just only in the passing game, but, in the run game as well. And the reason why is, you know, Alvin Kamara is one of the most dynamic running backs in the NFL and just the options that he can present as far as being, as far as being able to utilize him in certain ways. Not only is he good running the ball, he's been averaging about maybe around like four to five yards a carry this year, but the threat that he presents to defenses out of the backfield in the passing game has been one of note. And it really kind of showed last week against the Washington football team where he had a decent game running the ball, but I thought he was extremely effective out of the backfield. He had five catches for 51 yards and added a touchdown as well. And offensively, even though that they don't have a lot of big name receivers, Jameis has been able to connect with Marquez Callaway. Marquez Callaway has kind of set himself up as one of the featured targets for Jameis this year and he's having a relatively good year, and when I look offensively at the Saints as a whole, if they can just continue the success that they've had the last couple of weeks, I think they'll be able to make a pretty big dent in this Seattle defense, because Seattle's defense is suspect, to say the least, and when I look at the Saints, I think they're going to put up possibly, I want to say maybe like 24 to 28 points in this game. I think they'll be able to possibly maybe get into the low 30s, but I think by and large, I think I'm more comfortable with picking somewhere between maybe 24 to 28 points. When it comes to the Seahawks, the Seahawks are just a team that is really kind of down in the dumps right now because they don't have Russell Wilson. And I think Russell Wilson was kind of the guy that was keeping this team together as far as like patching the issues that are really present on this team. And I even though that, I thought that Geno Smith did an admirable job stepping into the starter role last week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They just couldn't protect him. And I do expect that New Orleans and their defense will get after Geno in this game. I mean, we saw that Geno got sacked a couple of times last week against Pittsburgh, and I think the same could hold true in this game. And when it comes to Seattle, I want to see them try to make a more concerted effort to run the ball. I do think that Alex Collins is a serviceable running back, even though that Chris Carson has been out due to injury the last couple of weeks. I think if they feed the ball to Alex Collins, I think they have at least a decent shot to keep this game close, just because at least then the Saints are going to have to respect what Seattle can do as an offense. But I think when it comes to New Orleans' defense, they're going to focus on shutting down the run game and making Geno Smith beat them. And Gino hasn't been getting a lot of starts the last couple of years. So I don't know if Gino's going to be able to carry the, the Seahawks to win in this one. But I think if they limit their turnovers and they don't make any crucial mental mistakes, I think they'll be able to keep this game close. I just don't think it's going to be enough to slow down the Saints here. The, the Saints, I think they're just a better team overall. They're on a little bit of a win streak right now. And I think when it's all said and done, I think New Orleans gets this win. If I had to put a score on it, I'm going to say... The Saints win this one 27-20. to 20. I think this is going to be a one-position game when it's all said and done. But I think Jameis, I think he throws for three touchdowns in this game. I think they knock in a couple field goals. And I think at the end of the game, they'll be able to make some adjustments and stop Gino from getting this game close um, when it's all said and done. So, yeah, that's how I have this game playing out. But, yeah, I think with the win... New Orleans would move to four and two on the season. And I think Seattle would fall back to two and five on the season, but other than that, that's pretty much all that I have for you guys today. So it's like I said, I wanted to try to keep this episode relatively short. Um, do be on the lookout. We will be coming out with our power rankings tomorrow. So like usual, we'll go through our top 10 teams in the NFL. If there's any sort of other topics of discussion, um, Do be on the lookout for that as well in the sports world. So other than that, you guys, you know, just I want to take the time to uh, appreciate you guys tuning into the episode. And um, whether you guys were listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or watching us on YouTube, uh, we definitely appreciate the support wherever we get it. You know, once again, you know, thank you guys for tuning in to listen or watch the episode. And we'll see you guys later. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electricast.